Well, how are you all doing out there? Good? Excellent. So, we've got a summit going on right now about human trafficking. I think that's something that we all agree is pretty bad. I think we're in agreement on that as the people of God. And we're in agreement on it because we know that human beings are not to relate to each other in systems of victimization where one is objectified by another, where one is used by another, where one benefits from the relationship, where there's a winner and a loser. We know that that's wrong. And that's true in more than just human trafficking. It's probably one of the clearest examples where a person has become a product that can be bought and sold. But that principle of objectification, the commodification of human life, is present in our own lives as well. In many ways, it's what's wrong with the world. And it's what Jesus came to change. It's the domain of sin where death reigns. But we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has broken the chains of sin in our own lives, that we might have life. That life might reign in the kingdom of God. But it's not going to happen automatically. We have a part to play in that. We're not just another cog that God is going to use to produce His ends as though God was using us to satisfy one of His own desires. No, it's a relationship with God. It's a relational kingdom. A kingdom of peace and wholeness and wellness. A kingdom of shalom. And Jesus shows us the way. I'm going to be uh, speaking today out of Philippians 2. We can pull it up on the screen. I've changed some of the translation a little bit to try to pull a few things out, so bear with me. Now, this is Paul speaking to the Philippians, a church that was doing pretty well, but this church had a problem. They were not unified. You know, not this church, but other churches might have factions or divisions or maybe people who are in little different groups that don't get along. Maybe they don't like the worship or don't like the color of the carpet or, you know, all sorts of things that seem to divide churches. But the Philippian church was having an issue with this. And Paul's speaking into that reality. He says, if therefore there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any compassion and mercy, make my joy full in this way. First, thinking the same things having the same love, being of one soul, the church with one soul, in one mind, not according to envy, nor according to vainglory, selfish ambition, but in humility of mind count others of greater worth than yourselves. Everyone not looking out for himself or herself, but also everyone looking out for the needs of others. Have this mindset in y'all, which also was in Christ Jesus. Not in you, and in you, and in you. 
in y'all as one. I had to go to seminary in Kansas City to learn that word. It's an important word. Y'all. Say it with me. Come on. Y'all. There we go. You guys know it. You're on the way. But Paul continues. He explains the mindset. Well, what mindset of Christ should be in us? This mindset. Who? Because. Because he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be seized, something to be grasped, to be taken for himself, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave because he was made in the likeness of humanity. Being found in human appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death. Obedient. Even the death of the cross. On account of this, God highly exalted him, giving him a name above all names, in order that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, of heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. You see, it was because Jesus was in the form of God that he humbled himself. It wasn't in spite of being divine that he humbled himself. It wasn't in spite of being divine that he did this other thing where he looked out for the needs of others. He did something for free. It wasn't in spite. It was because he was divine. It was because he was in the form of God that he emptied himself, that he looked out for the needs of others, that he didn't come for selfish ambition, but came to be obedient to the purpose of God. He didn't come to satisfy himself. He came in obedience to the purpose of the Father to open a way for us to be in relationship with God once again. Something we lost. Something that was tarnished and taken from us because of the sinful acts in the garden. Jesus came to open a way back into relationship with the Father through his, the atoning work of the cross, through the blood that was shed, He opened a way for us, an objective reality, back to the Father. But he did more than that. He did more than just supply us with our get-into-heaven-free card. He gave us an example that we follow as we enter that way. He gave us an example to follow as we enter back into relationship with the Father. Because you cannot have fellowship with God and fellowship with the world all at once. I'll let you know what the world looks like here in a little bit. You guys already know, but I'll tell you again. You see, because Christ was in the form of God, He teaches us how to be humans. Because humans are created in the image of God. We have to remember that. Our purpose as humanity is to image God. That is a high calling. That is a high purpose. So we need to know who God is so that we can properly be the image of God. Jesus is the best example of this. He shows us our true humanity. But we also learn about humanity in Genesis. And we learn about God. There's a few things that we learn about God in Genesis. The first important thing for my talk today is that God is self-relational. We believe in a triune God. As far as I can tell, God is the only being 
that is self-relational. That God, before creation, outside of time, in eternity past, was in relationship before anything else was created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A self-relational being. Something individual, you and you and you, can't do by yourself. But y'all can do it. Y'all can be that image because y'all can relate. But you can't relate to yourself. God is triune. God is also self-sufficient. God was around before creation. As it turns out, God does not need us. God is just fine on God's own and can just handle himself and is good. But God still created. Why? Why would you do something and put effort into something if you didn't need it? We don't do that. We do things to get something out of it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know? We're in it to satisfy things about ourselves. At least a lot of my generation thinks that way. And I think that way a lot of the time. But God isn't that way. God didn't create us because God needed someone to sing His praises or to glorify Him. God is fine without that. In fact, if humans don't do it, even the stones will cry out and sing praises to God. And I don't think God needs stones to praise Him. God created us because God wanted to. He wanted to relate to us because He thought we were valuable. He thought we were important. I don't know why. It seems like we're pretty messed up and we've caused Him a big hassle. Jesus had to come down and die. I don't know if I would have done that. But then again, I'm selfish. and God isn't. Third, because God is self-sufficient, God does not have invested relationships. Now, I have to qualify that. Invested relationships normally would sound like a good thing, but I want to explain what I mean. Everybody knows what an investment is. Let's say a stock market. You invest in the stock market, but you don't give to that person just because you love them or care about them or want them to succeed. You are giving to them so that you can get more back. You're giving them an investment the expectation that you're going to get not only that investment, but interest upon that investment back. You're not giving to them because you give care about them. You're giving so you can get. That's quid pro quo, this for that. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Well, God doesn't have a back. And if he did, it wouldn't get itchy. He doesn't need us to scratch his back. So when Jesus is sent down, He doesn't come down because he needs something. He comes down because we need something. We need to be taught how to live. We need to be taught how to not invest in people to get something back, but to live in non-invested, gracious, free, loving relationships. That's what we're supposed to do because we are the image of God. And since that's what God does, that's what we're supposed to do. So, the purpose of humanity, we were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. Y'all, we, think more than one. I want to point that out. They, male and female, are the image of God. And there are certain relationship boundaries. They relate to God through obedience. They relate to each other as equal companions. And they relate to creation by stewarding it. They're not to be disobedient. They're not to objectify one another. Not to abuse creation. Now, I want you to know the first thing that wasn't good about creation. I 
talked about the y'alls and the we's. The first thing that was not good about creation was not Adam eating the fruit, or Eve eating the fruit. It had nothing to do with the fruit. The first thing that was not good about creation was that the male, Adam, was alone. It is not good for the male to be alone. It's also not good for the female to be alone. The reason why, again, humanity is made in the image of God. God is relational. Therefore, an individual cannot be a good image of God. Only a relational being can be a good image of God. And when Adam and Eve are created, then creation is tov tov. Very good. Very good. When there's relationship. We really do need each other, as it turns out. But there was a problem, and the problem was sin. The problem is that humans sinned and broke their relationships, and we tarnished the image of God. We all know that relationships have boundaries. We all know this. Clearly, boundaries can be crossed. And we cross those boundaries when we don't treat people as an end in and of themselves. Instead, when we treat them as a means to another end, we turn them into an object that we use to satisfy some other end that we have. And when we do that, we break our relationships. This is most clearly seen in the pimp-prostitute relationship. One is being used to satisfy the needs of another. But it's also seen in the relationship between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, where one says, oh, if you don't sleep with me, you don't love me. Acting in disobedience to God's way of life to satisfy their own desires. It's seen in unjust business practices where, let's say you're selling a car and you know there's something wrong with it, but you want your money, so, you know, hopefully on the test drive nothing bad happens so you can get yours. That's their problem now. We see it all over the place in our lives with smaller things. You might not be selling a person, but it's very easy to treat them as an object. Even helping people. Even helping people that you think are lower than you. And you use them to satisfy your own desire to feel like a good person. You'll give a water bottle or some food or some spare change to a homeless person, but you only do it to make yourself feel good so you can sleep at night knowing that, ah, I'm a good person. I can feel good about myself. That's not how we're supposed to relate. We relate to people. Our purpose from God is the image of God. We are to relate to people without expecting to get anything in return. If you give something to someone, you give it to them because you think they're worthy of receiving the gift, and you want to give it to them because that's right. That's your purpose, to relate freely, graciously. You're not getting anything out of it. You don't do it to get anything out of it. You might end up getting something out of it, but it's not your motivation. The motivation of the heart It's a very difficult thing to control. In fact, I don't think we can make our heart change its motivation. Let me give you an example. Quick. Think of something you're motivated about. It can be anything. It could be sports. It could be God. It could be being the most popular kid in school. I don't know. Quick. Change your motivation. It's not going to happen. 
can't just change what motivates you. It's part of who you are. But God can change what motivates you. The Holy Spirit working inside of us can change the way that we live. It can give us a new nature that we might become partakers in the divine nature, as Peter said. It can change our selfishness, our desire to gratify our own desires and needs at all costs, and turn us into the type of people that consider others as more important than ourselves, and the needs of others as more important than our own needs. Because as we are blessed by God, we can be a blessing. But I'll tell you this, if you just try to give out of yourself, you're going to run out of material pretty fast. It is only insofar as we are blessed by God that we can give a blessing. And when we give that, we point and give glory to God because it is on the basis of God that we are able to do it. But sin messed that up. Satan came to Eve and said, Hey Eve, God's good, right? Yeah, God's good. And being more like God would be good, right? Yeah, being more like God would be good. Well, I got this thing over here, and if you eat it, you'll be like God, because God knows good and evil, because God knows everything. And if you eat it, you'll know good and evil, which you don't know right now, but you will. That way you'll be more like God. So eat this fruit, and you'll be better. You can make yourself like God. You can make yourself, make yourself, make yourself. You know, there's a funny thing about creatures. They didn't make themselves. They were made. We can't make ourselves the way that we want to be. We have to accept the way that we were made. And we were made in the image of God. Eve tried as an individual to gain some knowledge and become more like God. Adam took the fruit and tried as an individual to make himself more like God. They're achieving a more godlike status was done by doing something for themselves. It had nothing to do with their relationship to each other. It had to do with being disobedient to God, using creation for ulterior purposes, and doing so as individuals. They broke their relationship. They sinned. And it corrupted the way they were supposed to live in the garden. So what's to be done? What's to be done about this pattern of behavior? A methodology that's present in all of us. You know, when we make friends, why do we do it? Well, we do it because we get along with that person or we like their personality or they have something that we want. I was recently at a, a group meeting and there was someone there who publishes books for pastors. And I was sitting down and the other person who publishes the books, uh, they're a lawyer. They were telling stories and the person next to me said to me, hey, hey, go talk to that person. They can help you. I'm sure they meant well by that. And they thought, oh, I have some ideas. I've been thinking about writing books. This person could help me do that. But it struck me as odd that if I went over and talked to that person, the only reason I would be doing it was for what they could do for me. That I would use them for my own gratification, for my own self-promotion, for my own ambition. I wasn't just going to go relate to them because they're another human being and they're worth it. So what's the answer? Well, unsurprisingly, as often happens when I teach the kids, Christ is the answer. The cruciform life is the answer. The life formed by the cross. This is because 
Christ, in the form of God, did not think equality with God as a thing to be seized, as a thing to be grasped, like Adam and Eve grasped the fruit. It's not what Jesus thought. Jesus models the life and the behavior we're supposed to have by humbling himself in obedience to the commands of the Father. When we do this and are obedient for no other purpose than it's right, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed into Christ-like people. People who consider the needs of others as of more importance than our own needs. That's the pattern of behavior that we are going to have to practice as people. It's not going to happen overnight. If it happens overnight for you, great. God could do it. It'd be awesome if he did it. That's not the way it's happened in my life. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. It's hard. It's difficult. But with God, all things are possible. The grace of God is sufficient to deal with the things that are wrong with us, that need to be fixed so that we can perform our purpose. And in fact, God wants to do that. So if God is on our side, we really don't have a problem. Here's the spiritual discipline I want you all to practice. I've had the fifth and sixth graders practice it. They actually wrote down a little covenant. They were going to do one thing for free every week. The free lunch principle. You guys know there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? They're going to do the bait and switch. They want something from you. Nobody's doing things for free. And maybe they don't get anything other than that good night's sleep because they feel good about themselves. But the true free lunch can only come when it comes from someone functioning like Christ because it's their purpose as a human being. And they do it because it's right. So maybe it's make breakfast for their parents. That was, a, that was one that they used. Our cleanup after the dog, without being asked. Taking no allowance money. They're not getting anything out of it. It's, it's truly an act of freedom that they do because they are a follower of Christ, because Christ is their Lord. So you guys can pick something and write it down in your week, but since you guys are a little older, I have a higher standard for you. My standard for you is this, that in every decision you make, you stop and pray, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to follow my own plans. If you will put on my heart a prompting for what I should do, I will do it. That's the easy part. Here's the hard part. Listen. Listen for what God puts on your heart. I pray that prayer when I'm at my best. I don't pray it all the time, but when I do, I'll feel something. And sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's, you know, just go to Jack in the Box and get yourself a hamburger. That's what you should do right now. That happens sometimes. I like those ones. Those are easy. <laughs> Earlier this week, it was go next door, cross the block, and bring a letter with you and invite this person to church that you've only talked to one time. Don't even know their name. I just talked to them one time. I did not want to do that. <laughs> That was the most awkward thing. How am I supposed to walk over to this person I don't know? I don't know if they go to church. I don't know if they're going to yell at me. I don't know if they're scream. I don't know if they've got, had a bad experience. What are they going to think about me? What, ah, on and on and on. I'll tell you that's Satan. Giving you every reason not to do something that you know you're supposed to do. Now you have to test the spirits, but I ask myself, is it a good thing to go invite someone to church? Yes, it's a good thing. Does that contradict any clear scriptural teaching? No, it does not contradict any clear scriptural teaching then why am I not doing it? 
then why am I not doing it? It's a dangerous prayer to pray, to ask for a prompting. Lots of people want to hear from God, but not lots of people want to listen. So that's my challenge for you, to go from here and try. It's a very difficult spiritual discipline. Oh yeah, and here's the third part that's hard. I almost forgot. You have to pray without ceasing. There's that other little thing. You have to do it all the time. So Good luck with that. Um, try your best. I like to remember First John at that point when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I like that part because I sure screw up a lot. But I also want to give you an opportunity to form a new pattern of behavior now, today, in this very moment. If you think that this is important, if you think acting in a cruciform way is important, if you think the people of God should be unified and you're tired of all the people that are doing separate things, then do something together right now. Right now, everybody, get up and come forward to the altars. Not as a form of repentance, but as a form of dedication. If you identify as a member of the body of Christ, come forward. Let's be one. Paul wanted the church in Philippi to be one. They weren't doing it. I'd love it if this church was one. Let's try to do it. You may have a voice in the back of your head telling you all the reasons why not to do it. I'll tell you what, there's nothing in here about not coming forward to dedicate yourself to the service of God. And I'm going to stand down there with you and pray. So any that would come, I would ask you to come. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you don't use me, that you don't abuse me. I'm so thankful that you chose to create. And you knew what it would cost. You knew that your son would have to die for us. You knew that we would spit in his face, spit in your face. That we would be disobedient. That we would scorn you. You knew. But you still created Only you would have done that, Lord. You are our God. Please make us into your people. We need your help. We want it. We desperately want it. We need you, Lord. Lead us, please. Make the prompting loud and clear. And enable us to follow it. Let us follow it together and support each other. You've given us as supporting members of this body support one another. Thank you for this calling. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for opening a way of relationship with you again.